Well, this is one last Sunday that we will spend together in the book of Hosea. We've made this blitz through the book of Hosea together. I know one person in our congregation said, I've been a believer for a long time and never done a sermon series through the book of Hosea before. So, um, and probably many of you feel that way. And, and the book of Hosea is challenging, right? It's challenging for me. I'm learning a lot because it's not easy to preach, and it's challenging for me, and I'm learning a lot because it speaks in some ways maybe that we're not used to hearing God's Word speak to us. It's a challenging book, uh, but it's been a, a sweet experience walking through it with you. Next Sunday, um, Tim Tatum will be preaching to us. Uh, he's been serving as an elder for a very long time uh, and will soon be beginning a sabbatical from serving as an elder. And so one of the last things he's going to do before his elder sabbatical is preach a sermon next week. I think the tentative title is As the Day Draws Near. Um, and then the week after that, we will get into stuff that sounds a little more Christmassy. So if some of you are looking around this room and you're like, it sure looks Christmassy, but you're listening to the music and you're looking at the text selection, you're like, it sure doesn't sound Christmassy. We're getting there. We're on our way there. In fact, on December 12, uh, we will spend a few weeks in Matthew's Christmas narrative. And on December 12, we're going to have a kids' choir up here and all kinds of really cool Christmas stuff. So that is coming up, and Merry Christmas to you. Um, Hosea chapter 14, verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Iniquity is one of the Bible's words for sin. It's a word that most of us pretty much never use, right? It's a translation of a Hebrew word, avon. It refers to a kind of crookedness, uh, being broken being bent in the wrong direction. It kind of describes something that is out of alignment, like a hunched-over back or like a back that's out of whack. And if we ask Hosea the question, you keep saying, Hosea, that we should return to the Lord. What is it that creates distance between us and the Lord to begin with? What keeps us from God? Hosea's answer to that question in one word is avon. What keeps us from God is everything that is crooked or out of alignment in our hearts and our lives. You've heard the parable of the prodigal son. In Jesus' famous parable, the prodigal son demonstrates avon, crookedness. Out of alignment, iniquity. He demonstrates a lifestyle that is out of alignment because of self-indulgence and self-centeredness. He asks his father for his inheritance early. He leaves his family behind. He spends his money on partying and women. And to many people, it sounds like this guy is doing it right. He's following his desires. He's not constrained by his family's background. He's not constrained by external morals. He's expressing himself, and he's doing exactly what he wants to do with his life. But where does all of this leave him? In Jesus' parable, in a true-to-life fashion, the prodigal son finds himself eventually at rock bottom without money, 
Without friends he can rely on. His pursuit of personal happiness, his selfish pursuit of personal happiness, leaves him profoundly unhappy, right? And this is one picture of a person living in iniquity, living in a own, living with his soul bent or out of alignment. But in Jesus' parable, there's actually another character who also is living in a own. There's another character who is living in iniquity. It's the prodigal son's older brother. See, unlike the prodigal son, the older brother in Jesus' parable never leaves his father's household. He doesn't party. He wants a reputation for doing the right thing. And yet when his prodigal brother comes home, the older brother does what? He storms out of the house He storms out of his father's house in anger. You see, for all of his self-righteous exterior, for all of the ways he has tried to protect his reputation as somebody who's involved in the right things, as somebody who does the right stuff, the older son cannot even love his brother. You see, if you're trying to be righteous and yet having trouble loving people, something has become bent and crooked. Something is out of alignment deep within us, right? You see, the older brother's pursuit of self-righteousness has left him profoundly unrighteous in a own, in iniquity. See, the younger brother's self-centered partying left him in iniquity with his soul crooked and out of alignment. And the older brother's self-righteousness left him in iniquity with his own soul crooked and out of alignment. And do you see what they both have in common? As many ways as their lives at the exterior level looked very, very different for both brothers as long as they persist in own whether it's selfish iniquity or self-righteous iniquity, as long as they persist in avon, they are separated from their father. Are you tracking with me? Let me ask you, what might keep you separated from your father in heaven? In our series, we've noticed that Hosea chapter 14, verse 1, expresses the theme of this whole book. Come, let's return to the Lord. And throughout this series, we've also noticed a variety of sins that might keep us distant or separated from Him. Some of those sins that Hosea brings up are Sins that the prodigal son might have been familiar with. Breaking the Ten Commandments through self-indulgence. We don't want to have to honor our parents. We don't want to have to do things God's way. We want to follow our own sexual desires. We don't want God slowing us down. We become slaves to wine or whatever your thing is. 
other sins of avon or iniquity that Hosea brings up might be more older brother kinds of iniquity. We want happiness in life, and we're willing to remake God in our preferred image in order to protect our own personal happiness. This is the sin of idolatry that Hosea has a great deal to say about. We worry about the future and we hitch our hopes into worldly political alliances that, that seem so righteous, but in effect draw our hearts away from the Lord. I wonder what kinds of, of own iniquity might create distance between you and your Father in heaven. What may be out of alignment in your own soul, keeping your heart from drawing near to your Father in heaven? Here in chapter 14, we read Hosea's last words written and recorded in Scripture. In effect, they are probably the Lord's last words to the northern kingdom of Israel before exile. These are the words that will echo all the way from Ephraim to Nineveh. All the way from Israel to Assyria. These are the words that the Lord intends to stay echoing in the people's ears as they feel distant from the Lord and His presence. And what are these last words? They are words of hope. Calling us back to the Father. In fact, they are words that provide kind of a road map, we might say, a road map for returning, a road map for the way back to the Lord when our avon, when our sin, when our iniquity has created distance between us and Him. We'll follow that road. We'll kind of follow that journey in a few sections here. Here's the first thing that Hosea teaches us about the road for returning to the Lord when our iniquity has created distance between us and Him. The first, the first thing that he teaches us about the road for returning is that returning involves repentance. Returning involves repentance. Look with me, if you would, at verse 2. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Now, this is kind of like a Hebrew altar call. <laughs> Some of you who are familiar with the ministry of Billy Graham might, might imagine this as the Old Testament moment when the prophet says, now I want you to fold your hands and repeat after me, right? These are the moments, this is the moment in Scripture when we get a repeat-after-me prayer of repentance that the prophet leads the people into. Take these words with you, and with these words, return to the Lord. What is this, what is this altar call doing here in this passage? You see, I think that the prophet Hosea understood something that 
my wife Katie and I needed to learn early in our marriage relationship. When Katie and I were newly married, we discovered that the truth was that we both brought mistakes and annoying habits and sin patterns into our marriage. Now, you all can gasp with shock, right? The shock, the wonder, the awe that when we got married, we each, not just her, I did too, we each brought mistakes and annoying habits and sin patterns into the marriage. And of course, different personalities will deal with those things in different ways, but one of the dangers for us was the danger of not talking openly and not talking constructively, not talking in a healthy way about those mistakes and annoying habits and sin patterns that we brought into our relationship. You see, what we discovered was that closeness would not grow in our relationship without a healthy kind of openness about the things that created distance between us. And so, in our first home, Proverbs 28.13 became kind of a theme verse for us. We talked about it a lot together, and we would recite it to each other. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, in those early years of our marriage, with dozens of ways that we could start drifting apart from each other relationally, we realized that closeness wouldn't happen if we didn't deal with those things that were causing distance in a healthy way. We realized that we had to learn how to deal with these things together, and we realized that dealing with these things in a healthy way would require honesty and sincerity and a lot of mercy. Which is exactly what Proverbs 28.13 talks about. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses them openly, that's honesty, right? And forsakes them, that's sincerity. Not just saying I'm sorry with my lips, but actually meaning it and being prepared to do something about it in my life. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, whether you're married or not, I wonder if you've noticed this same thing. Long-term relationships will not thrive in closeness unless we deal with those things that are creating distance between us. And here's what the prophet Hosea is helping us see here at the beginning of Hosea chapter 14. He's helping us see that the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Closeness will not abound unless we deal in a healthy way with those things, with those iniquities, with that avone that creates distance between us and our God. And so... Hosea makes it plainly clear 
Returning to the Lord involves repentance. And what will that repentance look like? It will require some honesty. It will require some sincerity. And it will require a lot of mercy. That's exactly what Hosea leads us through, right? Take with you these words. Say to God things like this. Take away all our iniquity. What is that? It's just honesty before the Lord. The kind of honesty that we need sometimes in our lives to just draw near to God and say, I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to act like I haven't done anything wrong because who am I kidding? I really have been too concerned about my own reputation. I really haven't been loving toward that other person. In fact, my heart is kind of cold and indifferent, even angry and bitter toward that person. We draw near to the Lord and we confess openly. But not only that, having confessed openly our sins in the path of repentance, we demonstrate sincerity. And sincerity in Hosea's approach involves, on the one hand, a willingness to, a willingness to recognize the need for sacrifice. This is a big deal. It's not just a little glitch in the system and I can just shrug at it and say, I'm sorry, no big deal, right? Sacrifice was needed. We will pay with the blood of bulls, verse 2 says. And that sincerity is demonstrated not only in looking to sacrifice and acknowledging the seriousness of sin, but also in renouncing all false hopes, right? Verse 3, Assyria will not save us. And we've talked a good bit about Hosea's politics, if you will. I'm not going to rehash it all. But sometimes in our sincere return to the Lord, we need to confess to God, these are the ways I've sinned against you. And sometimes we just need to say out loud to the Lord, I'm not putting my hope in those other things anymore. I'm not going to trust in worldly powers to deliver me and give me what I want anymore. I'm not going to put my hopes in anything other than you. I won't trust my own version of what you're like. I'm not going to say to the work of my own hands, to idols, you're my God. Lord, I'm not playing any games anymore. I'm sincerely drawing near. I'm confessing honestly. I'm sincerely taking this for real and recognizing that apart from you, there is no hope. Drawing near to the Lord in repentance requires honesty, it requires sincerity, and it requires a reliance on His mercy, which is exactly where Hosea lands his repeat-after-me prayer, right? The end of verse 3 In you, the orphan finds what? Mercy. You see, here's the thing. Just as a newlywed couple won't abound in closeness without openly acknowledging and admitting the things that are creating distance, Hosea, the biblical prophet, shoots straight with us 
and reminds us that we will not abound in closeness with the Lord unless something is done with our own, with our iniquities, with those sins and habits of heart that have created distance between us and our God. And so the prophet Hosea tells us very clearly that returning to the Lord involves repentance. But that's not all. Here's a second thing that Hosea teaches us about the road to returning. We see this more clearly in verses 4 through 7. He teaches us also that repentance leads to renewal. Returning to the Lord requires a kind of repentance, a kind of turning back to God with honesty and sincerity and with reliance on His mercy. But when we repent, when we turn, what can we anticipate discovering? Listen to how the prophet Hosea explains it. Verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. And a few times in this book of Hosea, we've seen Hosea describe God as a healer, as an expert doctor, something of a surgeon. And even kids understand at a very simple level, if you get a big old splinter in your finger, what has to happen in order for that throbbing pain to go away? Well, the first thing that's going to need to happen is something that will feel painful itself. There's going to have to be some ripping and some tearing. There's going to have to be some pain involved in removing that splinter that's wedged under the skin. But why would a loving parent rip in order to heal? And throughout the book of Hosea, as Hosea describes the Lord and His relationship with us and the problems that our avon, our iniquity, have created, creating distance between us and Him, over and over, Hosea describes our Lord as being like a loving parental healer who says, I see that greed wedged deep in your heart that love of possessions, that coveting of your neighbor's house or your neighbor's car. I see that greed wedged into your heart, and the next thing that's going to happen might itself feel a little bit painful. Repentance, confessing sin, isn't always immediately comforting at the first step, right? But like a loving father, the Lord says, we're going to remove some of that. Why? Not just to create more pain in your life, but in order to heal. In order to heal your apostasy. And he continues on with the picture, I will heal their apostasy. This is a first picture of renewal through healing, but also I will love them freely. It's a picture of relational healing. A picture of renewal in our loving relationship with Him. Renewal of our experience of His 
love for us. Some of us have this picture of God as just kind of this distant deity. Sure, he exists somewhere out there. And I bet that he's really powerful. And I bet he can do a lot of things to make my life difficult. But I don't think he particularly cares about me or the things going on in my life. The prophet Hosea would like a word. The heart of our God intends to love us freely. To love us without restraint. To love us with lavish affection the way that a father scoops up a four-year-old into his arms. The way that a bridegroom embraces his bride. The way that any true lover embraces his beloved. His intention is to restore not only what's broken by our sin within us, but to restore our relationship with Him. His aim is to love His people freely. And not only that, there's this picture in verse 5 down through verse 7 of renewal described as being like nourishing that leads to flourishing. It's agricultural imagery, and so if you're not a farmer like me, you might not understand it. Let me walk through it with you for a second. I'm joking, by the way. I only grow tomatoes. But, but in verse 5, I will be like the dew to Israel. Dew was an important source of moisture, watering crops in their time and place. I will be like water that nourishes the soil the Lord says. And my people, you will blossom like a flower. You will take root like magnificent trees. Your shoots shall spread out in beauty, in fragrance. They shall return. There's that word again. They shall come back. And what happens in our return to the Lord? Dwelling close to Him. Right there in His shadow that protects from the harshness of the sun. And flourishing like the grain. Blossoming like a vine. And their fame shall be like prized wine. From prized wine fields. These pictures work together to remind us that the path of returning to the Lord, while it begins with the pain of repentance, while it begins sometimes with a hard step for our proud hearts to take, that step of confessing openly and honestly before the Lord and taking seriously the weight of our guilt, While it begins with that bitterness of confessing our sin, the aim of the Lord in inviting us to return is not the bitterness, but the sweetness beyond that bitterness. 
His intention is to renew. To renew like a healer. To renew like a father. To renew like an expert vineyard keeper tending to his vines. His aim is to renew. For the sake of time, I want to speed on here to a third point instead of dwelling there. We've seen that in this roadmap for returning to the Lord, returning involves repentance, and we see that repentance leads to renewal in the Lord's design. But a third thing we need to notice here in Hosea 14, and this is probably the most important thing of all, is to notice that renewal is rooted in a relationship. There's something that we can't miss beginning in verse 4. It's this one-letter word, I. See, in this picture of repentance, I wonder if some of us hear the Lord saying, you need to return to me, which we do. But I wonder if we hear the Lord saying, you need to return, and we begin to feel like it's all on our shoulders to work our way back to Him. But what does the language of this passage emphasize? Verse 4, I will heal, the Lord says. Verse 4 again, I will love them freely. Verse 5, I will be like the dew to Israel. And then, in case we've been missing the point that he's making all along, verse 8 is like a screech to a halt of what's going on in the flow of thought. And now there is a direct address. A cry from the heart of the Lord Himself. Oh, Ephraim! Don't get lost in these pictures of vineyards and parents and doctors. Don't get lost in the imagery I'm talking to you, our Lord is saying. And He's crying out from His heart. What else is the expression, oh, therefore? It's not just there because we like the artful additions for poetic reasons. It's there to reveal something about the Lord's heart. Oh, Ephraim. Sounds a little bit like when our Lord Jesus Christ himself sat near the city of Jerusalem and cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather you close to my heart. And here the Lord cries out, Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It's not just that you broke the first of the Ten Commandments. I mean, we shouldn't break the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying that's no big deal. But God is not ticky-tacky like that. He's not just saying you messed up on one of those Ten Commandments about idolatry. Check off. Do you hear the personal thing that's happening here? Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. 
And I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Here in this passage, as we read the call to repent and the promise of renewal, we cannot miss the heart of what's happening here. It's the heart of our Lord who cares about His loving personal relationship with His people. And we miss this sometimes when we read the Scriptures. We could miss it if we only focused on a few select passages of the book of Hosea and didn't pay attention to the others. You see, sometimes the prophets speak to us as if we're standing here in life and standing here like this and we're moving forward as the the weeks go by and the months go by and the years go by and sometimes God's spirit through the prophets in scripture will holler at us and say turn around because you're headed toward destruction Hosea says stuff like that right We read some of those passages. Those warnings are true and important, and those warnings are exactly the kinds of warnings you would hear from a loving parent whose child is headed toward destruction, right? Sometimes the prophets rightly say, turn around, you're headed toward destruction. But very often, God's Spirit through the prophets will speak to us And say, turn around because your back is turned to the one who truly loves you. Turn around not just because the end of the road you're walking down in Avon is destruction, but turn around because behind you stands the one who truly loves you. I'm not sure I can explain this important element of the message of the book of Hosea well enough. I want to recruit another voice to help us hear the heartbeat of our Lord in this passage. This is from Ray Ortland Jr., who wrote a book of biblical theology on this theme of the Lord's love for His people. It's a book called God's Unfaithful Wife. And in the conclusion of that book, here's one of the things that Ray Orland Jr. says. He says, The biblical story lifts up before us a vision of God as our lover. We've paused and noticed this once or twice throughout our study of the book of Hosea, right? Is God a king? And are we like his subjects? Yes. Is God like a shepherd and are we like his sheep? Yes. Praise God. Is God like a, um, you know, we could go on and on through all of the metaphors. But we're missing something crucially important to the gospel if we miss that God is like a lover who calls out to us as his beloved. The biblical story lifts up before us a vision of God as our lover. The gospel sounds the voice of our husband who has proven his love for us 
and who calls for our undivided love in return. The Gospel reveals that as we look out into the universe, ultimate reality is not cold and dark and blank space. Rather, ultimate reality is romance. There is a God above with love in His eyes for us and infinite joy to offer us. And He has set Himself upon winning our hearts for Him alone. The Gospel tells the story of God's pursuing, faithful, wounded, angry, overruling, transforming, triumphant love. And the Gospel calls us to answer Him with a love which cleanses our lives of all spiritual hoarding. I think Ray Ortland Jr. has captured something important that the prophet Hosea does not want us to miss. And so let me pause for just a moment and ask you, do you hear the heart of our Lord calling out to you not only as a subject or as a sheep, but do you hear the voice of our Lord calling out to you as His beloved, saying, come home? The call to return to the Lord is not only a call because if we keep heading in that direction, following our own will end up in destruction. The call of the Lord to return to Him is because as long as we continue down that path of Avon, our back is turned to the One who loves us truly. And now the book of Hosea ends with a moment of reflection in verse 9. It sounds almost out of place. Some people think it was written by a later editor of the book, some people think Hosea kind of signed this at the bottom. One way or another, there's an intended effect for us in verse 9. It's to lead us to slow down and consider where we stand in relationship with the Lord. And it's to lead us to slow down and consider how we're getting along in this journey back home. Look with me, if you would, at verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. Why? For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Remember what we observed earlier, there are different ways to stumble. There are different ways that we can end up distant from the Lord. Some of us will stumble in partying and self-centeredness. Some of us will stumble in religion and self-righteousness. What is the way forward then? How do we walk in the Lord's ways? How do we stick on this journey of returning to Him? Part of the answer is realizing 
we won't be able to on our own. Hasn't history proved this pretty well? You give us chances as human beings, what will we do? We'll turn away from the Lord. You give us second chances as human beings, you know what we'll do? We'll turn away from the Lord. You give us third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. I don't know how many chances there are in the Old Testament for the northern kingdom. We keep turning away in our sin. So here's the thing, left to ourselves, we won't make it back to him. Let's be honest. And therefore, Christians who seek to walk the walk will not simply say, I'm going to walk the walk by doing things my way. And therefore, Christians who want to walk the walk will not walk the walk by saying, I've got this. Christians who want to walk the walk understand we only get there through the way named Jesus Christ. We only get back to the Father through Him. We only make it any distance down the journey by abiding in His love. And when we do that, when we walk the walk by faith and by abiding in His love, it ends up sounding not like, I'll do it my way. It ends up sounding not like, I've got this. It ends up sounding more like this, Galatians 2.20. Thank God I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are saying to us through Hosea chapter 14, verse 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, our Lord Jesus Christ says. John chapter 15, verse 5. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. It's all because of Him and it's all through Him every single day. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, when we hear the call to repent of our own, when we hear the promise of renewal, healing, the restoration of relationship, the nourishing of our souls that leads to flourishing for the glory of God. And when we hear the heart of real relationship with the one who truly loves us, don't we want to agree with Hosea's prophetic invitation? Come, let's return to the Lord. Come. Let's turn away from our self-centered sin and guilt. Come, let's turn away from our self-righteous pride and our false hopes. Come, let's return to the Lord. 
And because it's true, as the hymn says, that our hearts are prone to wander, my heart is at least, we get opportunities kind of day after day and week after week in these small moments of life, whether it's bickering of one sibling with another, or whether it's a couple who hasn't spoken openly and honestly in way too long, whether it's two friends who have icy hearts toward one another and everybody knows it but nobody talks about it, In these small moments of life, we have these opportunities over and over to return to the Lord, to turn from our own, to hear the invitation to repentance, to hear the promise of renewal, and to run back following the call of that voice whose heart is to have a real relationship. There will also come decisive moments in our lives. There will come decisive moments in our lives when it will be clear to you how bent and crooked and how out of alignment your selfish lifestyle is. You'll be aware that in your attempt to live a happy life, you've become profoundly unhappy. Your own desires that promise fulfillment will leave you profoundly unfulfilled. For others, there will come moments in our lives when it it will become clear how out of alignment our self-righteousness is. We'll become aware that in our attempt to live a good life and in in our attempts to align ourselves with the right causes and in our attempts to be good and respected people, we're no longer willing to love our brother or our sister who's in the same room. And your self-righteousness will leave you exposed in your unrighteousness. For some of you, decisive moments of awakening may still be a few years away. Teenagers, it may be that for you, the penny won't really drop until you're sometime in your 20s. For some, maybe that penny drop moment A decisive turning point in your own walk with the Lord needs to come in the winter of 2021. Maybe for some, a decisive moment, a decisive break with sin, and a decisive return to the Lord needs to happen tonight. Whenever that decisive moment is for you, whether it's five years from now or two months from now, or tonight. I want you to know that whatever has drawn your heart away from the Lord, right behind you, right at your back, stands the one who loves you and gave his life for you. And I hope you'll hear and receive the prophetic word of hope amplified by the awakening power of God's Spirit. Perhaps the message of Hosea will come echoing through your mind as you agree. Come. It's time to return to the Lord.
who loves me and gave himself for me. And when we know his heart, we will be soft-hearted toward repentance. No need to defend. No need to pretend. No need for excuses. We'll begin to experience through repentance the first fruits of that great renewal that is to come. And we'll rejoice in the everlasting covenant hope that our Maker says to us, to us, I will be yours and you will be mine forevermore. See, as we close the book of Hosea, I know that Hosea has this reputation of reminding us how much like Gomer we all are how prone to spiritual infidelity every one of our hearts is. And to be sure, the book of Hosea will not let us take our sin lightly. But even more emphatically than Hosea reveals to us the brokenness and the waywardness of our own iniquity, even more emphatically, the prophetic hope rings through, reminding us, not only how deep our sin is, but reminding us His mercy is more. Therefore, come, the prophetic word says, let's return to the Lord.